you have your Bibles, you can open them tonight to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. You say, well, Rhea, I thought that we were studying James. The book of James, we have found, has been a practical study for us, immediate application of what it really looks like to live out the Christian life. James doesn't let us get away with a whole lot, and it's been an interesting study. And for those of you who have not been with us, uh, we are now in chapter 3 of James, where James is talking about the tongue. It's interesting that it comes after he begins to tell us that faith without works is dead. And I really would prefer that that it that word works doesn't necessarily mean works like we know it. I, I really like to think of it more faith without action is dead. Faith without working itself out in our life in actions is really dead. Um, and, and that's really what James is saying. And now he's going to spend the next couple chapters really giving us some practical application of how to walk out our faith and show it in the actions of our life. And one of the best ways that we can do that, he hits hard right away, is on the tongue, in the mouth. And he's talking about how, you know, blessing and curses come from the same mouth. And that should not be that we want to have uh, sweet water and, and bitter water flowing from the same fountain in our mouth. That we need to learn to guide our mouth, to direct our mouth into to obedience into God's word, basically. That we, we, we need to, uh, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth is going to speak. And so we need to be careful what's coming out of our mouth. And I've told you I'm going to spend several weeks now talking about the mouth. And you say, well, how does uh, Luke chapter 17 really fit with, with the mouth? Well, we're going to see that in a little bit. I'm going to come at the mouth at several different angles in the next couple weeks. But this week I read a verse, and if you keep your finger in Luke chapter 17 and flip over to 1 John, 1 John 5, it's almost to Revelation. 1 John 5, verse 4. I'd like to read it to you out of the New Living Translation. It says, For every child of God defeats evil, this evil world, and we achieve victory through our faith. I want to read that to you again. For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. I'll do it slower. For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. The Amplified says, For everyone born of God is victorious and overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has conquered and overcome the world, our continuing persistent faith in Jesus, the Son of God. And that's what James is saying to us. Faith, consistent trust in God and in His Word, leaning of our whole being on God, trusting Him with everything that we are. Faith, that kind of faith, should show in our life. We should look different than the unbeliever down the street. And um, we have to make the choice to deal with the wrong attitudes in our life, the wrong heart motivations in our life. We have to begin to look at things that really would uh, not demonstrate the faith that we have in God, that our life looks different than the faith we're professing. 
And for some of us, those attitudes, those pains, those heartaches, those things that cause us to behave in ways that we don't want to behave, that give us actions coming off our life that really do not model uh, what God wants us to model, the, the reason is because so many of those things are rooted so deeply within us. And we're going to look at that tonight and how we have to deal with some of those things. Luke chapter 17 I want you to just remember from 1 John 5 that our faith is what brings the victory. Our faith is what helps us to overcome. That's why I've been talking to you so much the last couple weeks about speaking God's word, having faith in God's word, because our faith is what helps us overcome. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Do you see that? I'm learning in my own personal life that no matter what my circumstances look like, I'm going to speak what God's speaking. I want, I'm going to say what God is saying over my circumstances. You say, well, Rhea, that's word of faith teaching, and I don't agree with that. No, that's belief in God's word teaching. That's what that is. I'm not talking to you about believing for a Cadillac. I'm not talking to you about believing for a bigger house. I'm talking to you about believing God's word, that it works in your life. And that this faith, faith in God's word, is what overcomes the world. Luke chapter 17, verse 1. It's a familiar passage. You've heard me teach on it several times. I don't believe I've taught on it in the way I'm going to teach tonight. Um, But if I have, we must need to hear it twice. Then he said to the disciples, and I want you, if you underline in your Bible, I want you to note that he's saying it to the disciples here. Then he said to the disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And the apostles, the reason I told you to note, Jesus said to his disciples, now look who's responding, and the apostles, they're the same people, but now we're calling them something different. Don't lose sight of that. When you study the word of God, pay attention to those kind of things. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. And which of you, having a servant, plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat. But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk, and afterwards you will eat and drink. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise, you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what our duty was to do. Lord, I pray for clarification, for great understanding of this word, and for insight and wisdom in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to notice that this is Jesus speaking. It's in red. And he's talking to his disciples. The word disciple means uh, followers, learners. 
He's talking to believers. Don't miss that. He's talking to you and to me. These are Jesus' words to us. It's his instruction to us, his word to us. And we can't just take it with a grain of salt. We need to pay attention, especially when it's Jesus speaking. We don't want to dismiss what he's saying. So let's look closely at his words. He says, it is impossible that no offenses should come. The NIV says, you can be sure that offenses will come. It's absolutely impossible for you and for me to go throughout life without the opportunity to be offended. It's inevitable. It's inescapable. He's saying, you can be sure of this. Here is a promise to you. You can be positive that the opportunity to be offended is going to come. Well, Rhea, what does offense mean? It means when somebody hurts you, when somebody injures you, when somebody does you dirty. When somebody does something to make you say, ooh, I don't like that. It, that that's offended. And Jesus himself is saying, hello, it's impossible for offenses not to come in your life. The opportunity to be offended is going to come. But now I'm instructing my disciples what to do when it does happen. And so we don't want to wait till that opportunity comes. We want to know what we're going to do when it does happen. And so Jesus is saying, pay close attention. It's impossible that offenses will not come. But woe to the man through whom they come. You say, well, we have that word offense. You've heard me speak on it many times. We've talked about that word being like if I had a mouse trap up here or a rat trap up here. The, of the word offense in the original language is scandalon. It's where we get our word scandal or scandalous. Uh, it, it, it means uh, that the word scandalon is the part of the trap. It's the trigger on the trap where the bait is kept. So you know, we've talked about this many times, that, that if I have a mouse trap up here and I put cheese on it and the mouse goes to take the bait, what happens to the mouse? He's trapped. And it's the picture that, and I love the way that Jesus talks to us. That's why I love studying the word of God so much because of the pictures that he paints for us. I'm a visual learner. And so for me, this one is really good because Jesus is saying, I, I promise you the opportunity to be offended, to be hurt, to be injured by somebody is going to come in your life. Not just once, it's the, the verbiage there means it's going to happen a lot. And he said, but, but he's painting this picture and he's saying, so when it happens, not if it happens, when it happens, I want you to picture scandal on. I want you to picture that this is bait on a trap, that the enemy of your soul, the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, is baiting a trap for you to take because he wants to get you caught in offense. And nothing will catch you and trap you quicker than being offended at someone or offended by someone. But it would help to stop at that point and think, this is bait on the trap. If Kelsey says something to offend me or to hurt me, I have a choice. I can choose to take, her, take offense at what she said to me and know that it will be a trap that gets me in his claws and it's going to be very difficult to get away from. Or I can say, like Scripture says, it's to my glory to overlook an offense. I'm going to say, Kelsey, it's to my glory to overlook that offense. You just hurt me, but it's to my glory because I am not taking that bait. I'm not going to get trapped by what you just said to me. And, and how would our world change if we started to give people grace and mercy and do that? Say, you know what, maybe she just had a bad day. 
Maybe it really wasn't targeted to me. I can believe whatever I want. Even if, even if uh, Leah said something nasty to me on purpose, I could say, oh, Leah probably just had a bad day. I'm just going to choose to believe she had a bad day. And it's to my glory to overlook that offense. Okay, are you following me? You have the picture. But Jesus says, but woe to the man through whom they come. It would be better for him to have a millstone tied around his neck and be thrown to the bottom of the sea than to hurt a child of mine. You say, well, Rhea, that's a small child. No. If you look it up in the original language, how many times did Jesus call his disciples my children? He says, my children, I long to be whatever. He goes on and, and, and he calls them children. This is really any child of God. I think that we are sometimes careless with the people that we hurt and the stuff that's coming out of our mouth. And I want you to think that, to hear me, that Jesus says, woe to the man through whom offense comes. It would be better for him to have a millstone tied around his neck and be thrown to the bottom of the sea than to hurt a child of mine. That word uh, scandal on it means something that trips you up, a trigger that trips you up. And I wonder how many of you are sitting here tonight with, with, with a memory or a pain or a recollection in your heart or your mind that you keep stumbling over, that keeps tripping you up. Something somebody said 30 years ago, but is still tripping you up, is still keeping you trapped in that memory. You say, well, Rhea, what's the big deal? Why is offense so dangerous? Turn over to Proverbs 18. Proverbs 18, verse 19. It says, a brother offended is harder to be won over than a strong city. In Bible times, strong cities had thick walls built around them to protect them and keep people out. I love that he drew that picture that he said a brother that's offended is, is harder to win over than a strong city. I, I wonder how many of you would be willing to say, Rhea, I've been offended by people and I've been hurt by them over and over and over so much so that I eventually put a wall around my life that said, I will come close to you, but you will never get an opportunity to hurt me like that again. A brother who's offended is harder win, to win over than a strong city because we put those walls around our life and walls are not a respecter of persons. If I'm walling Leah out, I'm going to wall my husband out. If I'm walling Leah out, I'm going to wall God out because walls are not a respecter of persons. And that's why Jesus is going to be so clear what we need to do when we become offended. And we need to take his advice. We need to take it. He says, uh, but woe to the man through whom those offenses come. That word woe is a term of, of um, uh, judgment. I need to just find it here. Uh, the, the dictionary of the Bible says it's sadness over those who fail to recognize the true misery of their condition. Think about that. Think about that. Why do we hurt people carelessly or intentionally? This is Jesus saying, do you understand the misery of your condition? Somebody who would intentionally hurt another, someone who would strike out at another to offend them with their careless words that James talks to us so clearly about. Jesus is saying, whoa, do, do you understand your miserable condition? Do you understand what you're doing? And do you understand that it would be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and be thrown to the bottom of the sea? than to hurt a child of mine. You say, well, Rhea, doesn't that mean I can repent? Yes, you can repent, and you should. I should. 
But that's how important relationships are to Jesus. Do you know that you and I were created for relationships? He is a relational God. We were created to be known, to be, to be in connection with people, to be in fellowship with people. And he takes relationships seriously. And so relational sins, you can see how clearly, he, how, 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 um, how sincerely he takes them. So he says, woe to the man through whom they come. And then in verse 3, he says, take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. He says, take heed to yourselves. And that word, take heed, it means to turn the mind to, to attend to, to be attentive, to be cautious about. It suggests a devotion of thought or an effort to things. And, and he, what, what he's saying is, take heed to yourself. He said, look at this. It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It'd be better for him if a millstone would tied around his neck and he were thrown to the bottom of the sea that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If a brother sins against you, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. Some people think that take heed is take heed that you don't offend somebody. I don't believe that. I believe if you read that over and over and over, you will discover that he's saying take heed to yourself. Watch what you're allowing in your life. Watch that you are not taking the bait on that trap. Watch that you're not allowing that poison of offense to get inside of you. Did you understand that when we are offended by somebody and we hold on to unforgiveness, then bitterness begins to take root within us. Hatred can begin to rise up within us. Uh, we can begin to be careless with our tongue like James cautions us against. If I ever see somebody with a nasty tongue, I automatically know there's offense inside of them. That there is bitterness being bred inside of them because they've failed to forgive somebody in their life. And it's spewing out on everybody around them. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Take heed to yourself. Do some internal investigation and say, have I taken offense? Am I holding on to unforgiveness? Am I bitter about something? And we're going to see as Jesus goes on that, that he's, he's really getting us to look inside and say, I don't want that garbage in my life. Do you know that the Bible says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall what? See God. I love that. Do you know that that word pure there, anywhere you see the word pure in the Bible, most times the word is, where, is, is the same word where we get our word cathartic or catheter. Do we have any nurses here? Catheter, uh, it filters, it, it, it releases out of the body impurities, does it not? And when something's cathartic, when I have a good cathartic cry, I get rid of garbage inside of me and I just let it all out. And, and, and so he's saying, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are people who, who don't let that stuff inside of them, who don't take offense and allow bitterness and unforgiveness to have any place in them, that they just let that thing purge right out of them, that they get rid of that as soon as it gets inside of them because they understand they want to remain pure in heart because they're the ones that will see God. And that word see, there means to be made manifest. Oh, I so want to see him made manifest in my life. And how do I get that? I get that by being pure in heart, by making sure I got a catheter going and getting that garbage out of me. As soon as I take it, I'm going to overlook it. If I let any of it in me, I'm going to get that thing purged out of me in no time. My son Tyler 
um, when he, he is 32 now, but when he was in, high, in college, he, um, he's 6'4", and he's really a skinny guy. And, and, but he, when he went to college, he got even thinner, like he got emaciated, and he would eat like crazy, like the boy ate more food than I can even begin to tell you. He was always eating, and, but he never gained any weight, and he had really curly hair, and it was long at the time, and it was very brittle, and, and, and really just not healthy looking, and, and he was really pale, and his nails began to split, and he, he would call me from college, and he'd say, Mama, I have this bitter taste in my mouth. It's just so bitter, Mom. And, and so when he came home uh, for, for a break from college, I got him in to see the doctor, and we began to tell the doctor all these symptoms, and the doctor did some tests, and he discovered that he, he had what they call gastroparesis, and it was paralysis of the stomach muscles. So when Tyler would eat something, uh, the food would go to his stomach, but apparently uh, the nutrients are absorbed into the body in the intestines. And so Tyler's stomach muscles were paralyzed, and so they never pushed the food into the intestines. It never absorbed the nutrients, and so that's why he was malnourished. That's why his hair was a mess. His fingernails were a mess. That's why he was, he was anemic, because he wasn't getting the vitamins and the nourishment that he needed. And, and what, what would happen is, it, because the stomach muscles, and I'm going to gross you out, the stomach muscles were paralyzed. It never pushed it into the intestines, and therefore, uh, you know, your, your body takes what it needs from the food, and then what does it do with it? gets rid of it, gets rid of the junk, the garbage, the, the toxin, the poison that gets out of our system. Tyler's did not. Tyler's stayed in his belly. And at first it just began to ferment. That was the taste. And, and then it began to petrify. And it petrified to the insides of his stomach lining. And the word petrify means dead. It turned dead inside of his stomach. Well, no wonder the boy had this nasty taste in his mouth. And, and, and so when I was studying this passage and I was understanding that God was cautioning us, he was saying, you need to be pure in heart. You, you need to, your, your, need, your faith needs to show itself in actions, Rhea. You need to look like me and you're not going to do that if you are taking offense and, and holding bitterness and unforgiveness and hatred and anger in inside of you. you got to get rid of that, Rhea. And, and at first, you, you know, we could be like my son where we could take that stuff in. And instead of letting it purge out of us right away and be cathartic and get that catheter out of us, get this poison out of me, I'm not going to let this thing inside of me. But what would happen is we can let it be like Tyler's food, where instead of pushing it out of our life and saying, I'm not going to allow that in my life, I'm not going to take offense, I'm going to forgive. What we do is we let that thing in our heart and in our mind, and it begins to petrify just like Tyler's food did. And, and bitterness starts coming out. We get a bitter taste in our mouth about every little thing, and, and it begins to deaden our life and affect our very being. And we begin to not thrive as Christians. We begin to really get into a place of poverty as Christians because we're hanging on to something that God wants us to get rid of. He doesn't want us to hold on to it in our life. But we become paralyzed in offense. We become immobilized by, by the hurts and the pains in our life. And God is saying, listen to me. This is a secret, he's saying. Get rid of that thing. Get rid of that thing. And so he says, take heed to yourself. Watch yourself. 
if your brother, and notice it's a brother, who are we talking to? Believers. If your brother, who does that, does that make anybody sad besides me? If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. That word sin there means to sin, to arrogance, to miss the mark, to wander from the path of uprightness or honor. To wander from the path of uprightness or honor. If your brother, your sister in Christ, wanders from the path of honor and uprightness in Christ and sins against you, hurts you, injures you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Here's my dilemma. We counsel with a lot of people, and I see marriages that are in bad shape all the time. And what grieves me is that they can be people who were madly in love when they got married, and then, you know, five, ten years later, they don't even like each other. And how does that happen? And, and here's how I think it happens. I think we don't do what Scripture says. If your brother sins against, against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. We don't like to rebuke. We, we like to just say, you ticked me off. I'm not going to talk to you anymore. I'm not going to deal with you anymore. I'm going to stay as far away from you as I can. A city, that a man who's offended is like a strong city. I'm going to put some walls around me. I'm not going to deal with you. I don't want to confront you because that's, that's hard. But, but I don't want to deal with you anymore. So I'm just going to. Well, how's that work in a marriage? Ask poor Davy. Dave knows this is not an issue I have any trouble with. Uh, rebuking is not an issue for me. Ask Leslie, my best friend, lest you have any trouble rebuking. Uh, if, if I see something, I'll call you on it. Because ask my team. I'll call you on it. But it won't ruin our relationship. It'll benefit our relationship because what happens is when you can call somebody on that and you can talk to them openly about it, it brings intimacy, it brings you closer, it, you learn each other, and then you, you have a better relationship and there, is no, there are no walls involved. There are no walls involved. Because you see, you have to understand that word rebuke there. It doesn't mean rebuke like we like to. I'm going to tell you a thing or two and I'm going to rebuke you in the name of Jesus. No, it doesn't mean that. If you look up that word in the original language, it really does mean to admonish. It means to tax with fault. It means to reprove. It means to warn, to, present, to prevent an action or bring one to an end. But here's what I want you to see. It also means to honor. So how do those two go together? If I'm going to rebuke Kelsey, I love Kelsey with every ounce of my being. And if I see something in her life or if she's done me dirty, I'm going to sit with her and say, Kelsey, you know what? I love you so much. And you are so much better than that. You know the word better than anybody I know. And Kelsey, you know that's not becoming. You, you know, and I so want God's best for you. And and I'm going to call her up higher and honor the gifting that's in her and honor who she is in Christ and who I know she is in Christ. It's just for that moment she's acting in a way that's not honoring. And I'm going to rebuke that. I'm going to give her a chance to say, you know what, Rhea, you're exactly right, and I'm so sorry. I'm going to forgive her. I'm going to purge that thing. I'm going to come back into relationship with her, and we're going to rock on with our bad self and get on with life, and nobody's going to be in bondage because we're going to have dealt with it. You see that? But here's what happens. You hurt me. I'm not going to tell you about it. Now, mind you, when I preach a sermon like this, it gives people especially 
super religious people. It gives them, you know, you hurt me. And I just re-preach this message. I just want to tell you back in, you know, five years ago, you said this to me, and I've been holding on to it for years, and I just want to tell you it hurt me. And, you know, that's not what I'm talking about here. That, that's not what I'm talking about here. It's not this petty, you know, garbage. But I'm telling you that Jesus is telling us this. He says, if a brother sins against you, rebuke him. <laughs> rebuke him. Don't just let him keep doing it. Hey, come up here, uh, Leah. I want you to just hit me. Now, if, if Leah was hurting me and she was injuring me and, and she just kept doing it over and over and I just kept taking it and I just kept going, you know, who do I have to blame for this? Who? Just, you know, I'm letting her do it. But I have to at some point say, stop it. Leah, that hurt. That wasn't right. And I give her a chance to repent and tell me she's sorry. And then we can come close. Do you see it? But now, Leslie, come here, be God for me. But now let's say Leah and I, and Leah's doing this, and, and, and I know that God said to forgive her. I know that God has said to, to, just, to just forgive her. And, I, you know, I'm trying, but, but it's, it hurts. And I'm getting a little ticked off at her, and I really want to hit back. And, and I want to just get even, and she just keeps doing this, and it's really irking me. And, and, but I know that God says to forgive her, and I'm trying <laughs> I'm trying really hard to do it, but she doesn't stop, and I want to forgive her, and I can't. I'm miserable, and I have this poison inside of me, and I know God is telling me to get rid of this poison, and I'm saying, okay, God, I'm going to forgive her even if she's not sorry. What happens? She can't touch me anymore. God's got her all by himself. I can forgive, which the word forgive means to walk away, to release and I can let her with God, even if she's not sorry. <laughs> I know you did it. Um, even if she do a good job at that or what? I was like, don't back off and don't give me these little tiny taps either. But but you see that. See, some of you are saying, Rhea, that person isn't even sorry. Well, I love that Jesus made sure that we understood that too, because look what he says. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Notice it says he's just saying it. Not you're seeing it. Not you see evidence of him really being sorry. He just says, if he just says it, you forgive him. Do you know why? doesn't matter if he's really sorry. doesn't matter if he keeps doing it. It's you. You don't want that poison. You don't want that thing petrifying inside of you. You don't want that poison stuck inside of you. You don't want that thing interfering with your life and sucking life out of you and deadening you. You want to get rid of that because blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. That's far more important to me than getting even and hitting back. Is it not? And see, when we do what God tells us to do in obedience, he steps in. He steps in, and he becomes a protection for us. His word and obedience to it becomes a protection to us. But see, when we fight back, what happens? We lower ourselves to that same level. So if he comes to you seven times, don't try to do that math and say, well, he came eight, so I don't have to forgive him. That word seven, you know, is a number for completion. 
It means you do it till you can't do it anymore. Do it till it's really done and settled. Um, it, is, it is the perfect number. And so um, he's saying if he's done it seven times, you, you forgive him. And that word forgive, you know it means to cut loose, to cancel. If, if Kelsey has hurt me and I'm holding on to unforgiveness, what happens? I'm holding on to unforgiveness towards her. I'm still tied to Kelsey. And I can't get free from Kelsey because I'm holding on to unforgiveness. But when I, the word forgive means to let go. When I let go of what Kelsey did to me, what happens? I go free. She can still be crazy and wild if she wants to. She can still be nasty if she wants to, but I'm over here free. I wanted to bring a balloon tonight, and, and I wanted to, to hold on to it and talk to you about how that's what we do with unforgiveness and offense and bitterness and anger. We hold on to it. But if I took a balloon and the word forgive means to let go, and I let go of the balloon, what would happen? It would go. I couldn't even retrieve it if I wanted to in this room. And that's what we're called to do, to forgive in that way. And you say, well, Rhea, that's virtually impossible. Well, the, the disciples thought so too, because look at verse 5. And the apostles, now I told you, in the beginning we're talking about disciples, followers of God, learners. And in ver verse 5, we're talking about apostles. Why did he change that? I want to know that. It just bothers me. Do you know that apostle, where's my team? What did we learn this week that the word apostle means? Somebody tell me from team. What was it? You guys are better than this. One who was sent out with orders. An apostle is one who is sent out with orders. That's completely different than a learner, a follower. No, I got some orders from the king of kings and the lord of lords that I need to, I need to work out. I am sent out with orders. And it's interesting to me that Jesus starts by saying he's talking to his disciples and now when, when, when he's calling them to a higher place, he calls them his apostles. In other words, you know, I am calling you to this higher place, this place of, of maturity, this place of you can't hang on to that stuff anymore. I, you've got a call on your life. You, you, you've, got a, you've got a precedence on your life that you need, to, you need to be living up to. And in order to do that, you can't be bogged down with that garbage. So get rid of it. And the apostles said to him, Lord, increase our faith. I love it. He didn't say, give us the ability to forgive. He said, no, it's going to take more faith than this. Uh, you got to increase my faith. If you want me to forgive like that and not hang on to unforgiveness and not be angry and not keep a record, you got to be kidding me, Lord. You got to increase my faith. Do you love them? I just love it. I love it. And, and notice his faith. What did we say faith was? Total trust. Complete trust in God and in his word. I'm telling you, what I'm learning in my life is that no matter what my circumstances are in the natural, no matter how hopeless and helpless they appear, no matter how powerless I seem to be over them, I am trying to take a step back and say, Lord, none of this is taking you by surprise. 
You have me. You're faithful. You promise to bring me through with tr- in, in, in triumph. You promise that I am more than an overcomer in you. You promise that you will lead me through victoriously. And so this is nothing for you, Lord. And I am going to stop being moved by this because I am going to be moved by my faith that you are good, that you are faithful, that you are trustworthy, that you are true, that you are all-powerful and almighty, that this is nothing for you. And I'm trying to live in that place of absolute faith and total trust in God. It doesn't mean he fixes my circumstances. It means he fixes me in my circumstances. He fixes the way I look at things. He fixes the way I'm dealing with things. He fixes my reaction in them. And so they say, Lord, increase our faith, increase our trust in you, that if I forgive this person, that you have it, that, that, that I'm not setting myself up for more hurt, that, that you're really going to take care of me. And, and then I love that Jesus, how he responds. He says, so the Lord says, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now, I love it. If you have faith as a mustard seed, and we've all heard this, we've always all heard about how a mustard seed is not a big deal and, and, and how it's not a, it's not a very big uh, thing and, and always asking for is faith the size of a mustard seed. And, and he says, you can say to this mulberry tree, a mulberry tree, it's interesting. It's interesting that Jesus picked a mulberry tree. How many of you know the scripture that says, if you have faith of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be removed. I like the mountain. That's a, that's a pretty big obstacle. That's pretty immovable. A tree, a mulberry tree. Why did he pick a mulberry tree? But you see, the disciples would have known immediately what he was talking about because in Bible times, a mulberry tree, it was one of the, the, the roots of a mulberry tree went really, really, really deep. It would have been impossible to pluck up by the roots. Even uh, the commentators I read said that even when you removed a mulberry tree by the root, if any portion of that root still stayed in there, it would shoot back up with a vengeance. That it was a quick-growing tree and, and that you could take even a twig of a mulberry tree and put it in the ground and it would, it would begin to root and start to grow just from a little twig. And so the disciples would have known that he was talking about something that had deep roots and that would have been virtually impossible to pluck up by the root. And can I tell you that when we are offended when we are uh, angry, when we have unforgiveness and hatred and bitterness. Oh, can I tell you I can pick out bitter women in a crowd. I can pick out bitter men just by talking to them. It is so ugly. Can I tell you, you want rid of that poison in you. Uh, Get a filter. Get it out of you. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see Jesus. Get that catheter out of there and get that poison out of your system. It is not worth what that person did to you. Don't let them win. Don't let them win like that. Don't let them win. But I will tell you that unforgiveness and and hatred and anger, it has roots like that mulberry tree. That's the picture Jesus was drawing. He says, if you let that thing have any part of your life, the roots will start taking over your life. Bitterness will start taking over your life. Unforgiveness will start spewing out of your life. Hatred and anger will start overwhelming your life. It's got big roots. It's got deep roots. 
and it is fast growing and it will take over your life quickly. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. A mulberry tree, it's interesting. It was pollinated with a wasp sting. No lie. And I think about, you know, pollination is what reproduces, doesn't it? And so somebody stings you with their words or they sting you with their, with their unkind actions and, and, and it starts to reproduce in your life, doesn't it? Jesus knows what he's talking about. He didn't just randomly pick a mulberry tree. He knew what they, were, what they would think. He was drawing a picture for them. A mulberry tree has fruit on it. It was called the poor man's tree, the poor man's fig, because it looked like a fig, but it wasn't. It looked pretty good on the outside, but it was bitter to bite into. In fact, uh, commentators say that you could only take little bites of this fruit at a time. Precious one, can I just say this as tenderly as I can? If we hold on to unforgiveness, if we hold on to bitterness, I don't care how wrong that person was. I don't care what they did, how wrong it was, how painful it was. Don't hang on to it. Let them go. Let them go. Because it will produce fruit in your life that is bitter. You might be able to dress it up, you know, come to church with lipstick on, looking real good like, I got this holy... Holy Spirit, Christian, smile, how you doing? Bless you, praise the Lord. Come to Bible study on Wednesday. I'll be at prayer meeting too, and you know, we're all good. You can put that lipstick on and act like that, but I'm telling you, if you have that junk in your life, it will produce bitter fruit. And you might be able to look good from the outside, but when somebody gets close enough to get a nibble of your life, it will show forth what it really is. And then James, who says faith without actions is dead. That's what will happen in our life. We'll profess faith, but our actions will give it away as something completely fake. What does he say? Your religion is worthless. And so Jesus is saying, get rid of that thing. Get rid of it. I want you to turn over. Some of you don't like that rebuke uh, word there. Turn over to Luke chapter 9 or turn back to Luke chapter 9. This is fascinating to me. In verse 51, now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and he sent messengers before his face and, and as they went they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him but they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just like Elijah did? But he, Jesus, turned and rebuked them. It's the same word, rebuked them, and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. These are his disciples, and they were just standing up for Jesus. And, and somebody did Jesus dirty, and they said, Jesus, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to consume them like Elijah did? And we'll get them back for you, Jesus. And that's the kind of friend I would have been. And Jesus turns to them and rebukes them. And it's that word. Remember, it is to admonish, to charge sharply, but with honor. And he says, you don't know what manner of spirit you are. 
you're playing for the wrong team here. We don't act like that. That's not how we get even. That's not how we work. You don't know what manner of spirit you are right now. I love that. Do you not love that? I want him him to say to me, I want him to stop me in my tracks and say, Rhea, you don't know what manner of spirit you are right now. So Jesus says, um, go back to Luke chapter 17. He says, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree. He wasn't talking about a tree, although he was using that as the illustration. I just want to find the rest of, uh, of the description of the mulberry tree because it's just fascinating to me that that's the tree he used. I told you that it's easily propagated. It grows rapidly. It starts from a seed and needs to be nurtured. And can I tell you that when we nurture offense... It will grow. It will grow. It has the deepest roots of any tree in the Middle East that you can't remove it without taking, without leaving some roots behind, and it will always resurface. It's interesting that it grows best in dry places, a, a mulberry tree. Oh, offense grows best in dry places. I was, I was studying this week, this week and, and I had just finished studying. I put my Bible away, and I was at Panera, and I was going to drive home, and I was praying to the Lord about something that was heavy on my heart, and, and, it, and I was praying a prayer that I will pray often, and I said, Lord, I thank you that my house is light, that you live in, in my home, and, and my home is light, and anything that in the darkness, I command to come into the light. And immediately, I'm looking ahead of me on the, on the street, and it's daylight. And, and I heard the Lord say to me, Rhea, what can you see? And all of a sudden, the sun got brighter. And, and I could see, I was at a stretch of a road where I could see for miles ahead. And, and I could see clearly. And I said, Lord, I could see everything. There, there, it's, it's all clear to me. I can see everything clearly. And and he said, now, if it were dark, Rhea, what would you be able to see? You couldn't see much, could you? And, and I said, no. And immediately the scripture came through my, my mind that said, it is the entrance of my word that gives light. Walk in the light, Rhea, as I am in the light. Are you with me? And, and, and I was praying that anything in the darkness would be exposed to his light. Can I tell you that when there's light, you can see everything. Everything is clear. Are, are you with me? And so the scripture that he brought back to me was, the entrance of my word brings light. I had just been studying the word of God, and he had put his finger on some things in my life and I, that, I, that I was entertaining that really are not good for me. And, 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 and he was saying, Rhea, I'm exposing those dark areas in, in you with, with the word. When you sit with the word, the entrance of my word exposes that garbage in you that I want to clean up, the poisons in you that need to be removed, because blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Are you following me? And so Jesus is saying to his disciples, this is really important that you don't dismiss this. I know you want to be offended. I know you have a right to be offended. Can I tell you, woe to that person who hurt you. Can you just believe me? Woe to them. They don't know how miserable they are. It'd be better for them to have a millstone tied around their neck and be thrown to the bottom of the sea. I take this seriously, disciples. But here's what I want to tell you. If somebody sins against you, Take heed to yourself. Don't let that garbage inside of you. If you have to, go to them, tell them about it with honor. Forgive them and let it go. 
And you can speak to that mulberry tree inside of you. That's the picture he's drawing. He's saying, speak. What did we learn about the word of God? That we need to speak it. That James is saying that we need to direct our mouth. We need to direct our words. We need to speak the same thing that God is saying. And so Jesus is saying, you can say to that mulberry tree, you can speak to that mulberry tree. And, and he's saying this mulberry tree, he's talking about offense. He's talking about unforgiveness. He's talking about hatred. He's talking about, uh, about, about being bitter and angry and letting that in your life. You can speak to that mulberry tree before it gets its roots down in you. And you can command it to be uprooted and it must obey you. It must come under the authority of what you're commanding it to do. So let's flesh it out. Let's use James. That I have to guide my mouth, that I have the power of life and death in my mouth. So if I, it, let's say Karen has offended me and, and hurt me and I can't overlook it. I've really kind of taken it in and, and I'm rehearsing and rehashing because that's really what we do. We replay it over and over and over and over and, and we give it a place of residence in our life and, and it really becomes part of us and it gets down deep in us and embedded in us and rooted in us and, and I'm offended and I can still smile and put on a, how you doing Karen, but really I'm harboring it in my heart and, and it's really sucking the life out of me and and I know what Jesus said but it's really kind of hard to forgive her because I'm not even sure she's sorry and I feel kind of justified hanging on to it and then I remember he tells me that I I need to get rid of it and not hold on to it and that I need to speak to this mulberry tree and I say can I really do that Lord can I speak to this unforgiveness and this hatred and this anger and this bitterness inside of me can I speak to it you bet you can you bet you can. So I'm going to call, start calling things that are not as though they were. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not going to keep a record of wrongs. Thank you, Lord, that you tell me to bless my enemies and pray for those who, who persecute me. And so I just want to bless Karen in the name of Jesus. And I want to pray for her, that you prosper her, Lord God, that you would meet her needs according to your riches and glory, that you would pour out a blessing that she can't even contain. Oh, Lord God, I thank you that you call me to love, and I pray that you just help me to love her. Lord, let me love her in a way that she understands and that she sees the Christ in me and is drawn to it. Lord God, I just thank you that the peace of God which transcends all understanding guards my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. And I just pray right now that you just guard my heart and my mind, Lord God. I don't want this unforgiveness. You tell me to get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, and malice, and every form of slander. I'm getting rid of it now in the name of Jesus. I'm choosing, Lord God, to let that thing purge from me. And I'm praying right now, Lord, that you fill me afresh with your sweet Holy Spirit, that I walk in the light as you are in the light, that you expose anything dark inside of me. I don't want anything dark inside of me. Lord, I give you, I give you permission to put your finger on whatever it is that's draining life from me, because Lord, you are life. You're the way, you're the truth, and you're the life. And I'm choosing to come upon your way, promising that you will give me the life that I'm longing for right now. And I'm speaking to that mulberry tree, and I'm commanding it to be uprooted in the name of Jesus. And it has to obey me. It has to come under my authority. I don't want that rotten fruit in my life. And I thank you that the fruit of the Spirit... I thank you that I'm fruit of the Spirit and it's peace and it's joy and it's patience and it's love. I thank you, Father, that that's going to radiate out of my life now in Jesus' name. You see, 
We're speaking to that mulberry tree. I don't want that garbage in it. You say, well, Rhea, I feel powerless. No, Jesus himself said, you don't have to need more faith. You don't have to increase your faith. You have to speak. You have to say to that mulberry tree, get out of my life. I need it purged from my life. I'm not going to be paralyzed like Tyler's stomach muscles by this offense. Then he goes on to talk about the unprofitable servant. He's saying, I've only done my duty. It's interesting that they make that connection. I think sometimes that we get so caught up in I'm forgiven, God loves me, I'm going to heaven, that we don't realize he's Lord and that when he commands us to do something, it's for our good and that he expects us to do it. And that I've only done my duty. I've only done what, the, what my master has asked me to do. And when my master asks me to do something, it's always for my benefit. It's always for my good. But you know, I was thinking it when I was working on this sermon. Dave is an incredible gardener. He, he, can, he gardens better than anybody I know. And I'm, I'm always so proud when he trims our trees and our shrubbery. And he does it often. And they always look beautiful. And I was thinking about my mulberry tree and how instead of commanding it to be uprooted, Sometimes I just trim it. I, you know, I trim my shrubbery. I trim my trees. And I make it neat and tidy. Because that's what Dave does to our shrubs. They get growing like crazy, and he just makes them neat and tidy. And sometimes I just make my mulberry tree neat and tidy. I'm not offended. He just tells me not to be offended. I'm not offended. I just really don't like that person. They're not nice. They're porcupines don't like to be around them. There's nothing wrong with that. Protecting myself. Do what I need to do. These walls keep me safe. I'm just trimming my mulberry tree. He says, don't trim it. Uproot the thing. Uproot it. Get it by the roots. Dave and I took a shrub out. Where, what were we doing, baby, when we were both in? Where was that? When we were digging that shrub and we were both down on the ground and it was Roots were really deep. We got it cut off at this, was it the old house? Um, we got it cut off at the ground, and yet we had to get the root out. And I just wanted to kind of put a pile of dirt over top of it, just cover it up. It's still there, but, you know. And Davy's like, no, we got to get this root out. And both of us were on the ground. Our butts were on the ground, and we were, Dave had a shovel, and he's digging. And I'm pulling, pulling, pulling at this root, and it was terrible. We, even when we get some of it out, there would still be some roots back in the ground. And it takes work to uproot something. And so many of us, we don't want to deal with it. We, we just want to say, well, I got the best I could. I took it off at the surface, and it, it, but it's still got roots. And those roots will still grow up. The Bible says, get rid of any root of bitterness because it will grow up and defile many. We don't want that stuff in our life. And Jesus is saying, you can be sure the opportunity to be offended is going to come, but prepare yourself for it. Understand what taking offense will do to you, how it will drain you of life how it will keep you from reflecting my glory, how it will keep you in bondage, bondage to that person, tied to that person. It's not worth it. 
people, I'm writing this book about life, and, and it's, it's just fascinating to me because what I see so often is people coming to me saying, Rhea, my life is miserable. I'm, I'm miserable, and I hate my life, and I want to take my life, or, or, you know, my marriage is never going to be better. And you know what? You cannot control or change somebody else, but you can control and change how you show up. You get to choose that one. I can't choose how Kelsey's going to treat me. I can't choose how she shows up today, whether she's growly or in a good mood or moody. I can't choose that. I can't even control that. And, and, and for me to try to control it is futile. But I get to choose how I show up. And I can say, I'm not going to let that influence me because I got the power of God living inside of me. And I don't have to react or respond. I can let God get in the middle of it and take care of it for me. And I can just go away free. Because you see, that's what obedience does. Obedience gets you out of the way and lets God take over. And it works so much better that way. And I'm not trying to minimize. Some of you have really been offended. Some of you have been hurt deeply as, as, as young children or, or even, even as adults. And, and you've been done dirty. And I'm not trying to minimize that. But here's what I'm trying to do. Maximize your hope. Because Jesus says, if you don't take that bait and you let that person go, you see, you're not letting them go. You're entrusting them to the one who judges all men justly. That's what Jesus did on the cross. Can I tell you that Jesus is, uh, one of Jesus' last words, last words are important. My mom died in 2009, and I still remember her last words. Dave, do you remember when she was dying, she brought all of her children to her hospital room, and she pulled each one of us aside separately and, and gave us her final commands, really, weren't they? <laughs> Dave, take good care of Rhea. Don't let it, you know, it was that kind of thing. All of her grandchildren, she pulled to her bedside and, and gave them, you know, I want to see you in heaven. Make sure you love Jesus. Uh, th those kind of things. They, they were the last things that she knew her words. They were going to be the last words she spoke, and so she chose them carefully. Can I tell you, on the cross of Calvary, Jesus chose his words carefully, I promise you. And does anybody know some of his last words? Father, what? What? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now, if those were Jesus' last words, if he understood, I love this. I was listening to T.D. Jakes. That's where I got the, the push uh, illustration. He did that, and I loved it. But, but one of the things he said was Jesus' last words on the cross of Calvary before he was going to die. See, he knew resurrection was coming. He knew he needed power for resurrection. And he knew that on the cross of Calvary, he could not hang on to unforgiveness. And so his last words were, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. I don't want that garbage in me. I got a resurrection coming. I got resurrection power. I, I can't afford to have anything holding me down. And so, Father, purge this thing from me. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. See, Jesus understood resurrection power couldn't come if he was hanging on to that kind of garbage and so he got rid of it and can I promise you that resurrection power is coming some of you have been miserable because you're holding on to to offense you're holding on to unforgiveness somebody did you dirty and you have a right to hold on to them but it, Jesus isn't going to interfere with that right you have a right to go to hell too if you want to he won't interfere with it but he offers you heaven and you have a right to be miserable and hold on to offense and, and punish that person all you want, but I promise you, you're not punishing them. 
You're not hurting them one bit. You're hurting yourself. And Jesus won't force you to come under this, but I promise you it works. It works. And we have to make the choice to speak to those things in our life, to use our mouth not to get even, not to strike back, but to speak God's word over our life. I will walk in obedience to that. You see, Carol, Dr. Carolyn Leaf is one of my, I just love to listen to her. She's a neuroscient, neuroplastician, I think she calls herself. And she has studied the brain and, and its you know, effects of your speech on your brain. And she said there's so much to confession because you hear yourself saying it and it plants something in your brain. It does something in your brain. She says, it's amazing. God knows what he's talking about when he talks about confession, when he talks about speaking something, because your brain hears it and it starts to believe it. And when we start speaking God's word in our situation, I don't want this garbage in my life, Lord, and you tell me I can have peace. You tell me I can be filled with love. You tell me I can be overflowing with joy. And I want that, Lord. I want that in my life. And I'm speaking to this mulberry tree. I'm speaking to this bitterness. I'm speaking to this anger. I'm speaking to this hatred. I'm speaking to, the, to this garbage in my life that it needs to be uprooted in the name of Jesus. And I am receiving the life that you have for me, Lord. And I am releasing that person that hurt me. I'm cutting myself free from that person that hurt me. You got them, Lord. I'm turning them over to you, to the one who judges all men justly. And I am going to walk in obedience to your word because you are the way, the truth, and the life. And when I walk in that way, when I walk in accordance to the truth, I can trust that life is going to come. You can be sure offenses will come to your glory to overlook them and take heed to yourself that you don't have any of that garbage inside of you and if your brother sins against you if he stepped out of honor for a moment and did something rotten go to him rebuke him but not rebuke him in hatred or nastiness speak truth to them in love Talk to them openly about what happened. Not to cause trouble, not to stir the pot, not to get into an argument, but restoration is always the goal. Communication, open communication, so no walls get put up, always the goal. And then forgive, let go, and move on with your life. You say, well, Rhea, what if they don't repent? Well, this scripture, this passage talks about repentance, but I can take you to a million just like it that, that don't wait for repentance, that you forgive because you've been forgiven. What if God kept a record of your wrongs? What would we do? That he will, uh, the Lord's Prayer. How many of you know the Lord's Prayer? And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us what if God did that what if he forgave us in the same way we forgive others do we really mean that and so it doesn't say forgive them if they repent I'm just telling you 
Make it this constant catheter coming out of your life where that, that stuff just drains out of you as quickly as it comes in you. That's got to get out of me. I don't want that stuff. It's poison. It's poison to me. It will destroy my life. And just like Tyler's food that fermented and petrified in his stomach, bitter taste in his mouth, affecting every area of his life, that's what will happen to us if we entertain that stuff in our life. And so we have to direct, direct our mouth not to fight back, direct our mouth not to retaliate, direct our mouth to start speaking to that thing in our life, not even the thing in their life, but the thing in our life to be uprooted and removed. It'll destroy you. It'll destroy your witness. You don't want it. So I'm going to ask Kelsey to just come to the keyboard. And I just want to take a moment. And I just want you to, in your mind, really ask yourself, not trimming your mulberry tree, but I, I really want you to ask yourself if you've allowed offense to trap you. If you've allowed unforgiveness or hatred or bitterness or anger to just take root in you like that mulberry tree, those deep roots get down deep and get embedded in us. I want you to ask yourself if, if you've allowed any of that in your life. And I want you to just take a few minutes before we close and do some business with God. I want you to speak to that tree. Lord, I don't want that in my life anymore. And I'm commanding it to be uprooted now in the name of Jesus. I'm giving it to you, Lord. I'm giving you that person. I'm entrusting them to you. I'm taking my hands off of them. I'm cutting them loose. I'm freeing myself from their influence, Lord. And I'm putting myself under the influence of your word instead. And I want you to purge me tonight. Remove this toxin from my life. And so I'm going to ask that you just stand to your feet. We won't prolong this. Uh, Leslie has some announcements she wants to make. But I, I just really, I'm serious about this. I so want to see God manifest in my life. I want that more than anything in this world. Today, Dave and I had a spat this morning. I know that none of you do with your husbands and your wives, but Dave and I had a spat, and I kind of started it. I'm not going to lie. And he made me mad, and I, I was kind of justified in being mad. And, and I, I said some things that <clears throat> were strong rebuke. And the Lord said to me, you're preaching tonight, Rhea. You want to see me manifest? You probably should repent. I was like, are you kidding me? I didn't do anything. I'm not going to say I'm sorry. He needs to say he's sorry. Sorry, baby. <laughs> and I chewed on that for quite a while. And I thought, want to see you manifest, Lord. Blessed are the pure in heart. I'm hanging on to that. I'm just being real. I know that, you know, you 
guys who are so much more spiritual, but I was growly. It was wrong. It was wrong, wasn't it? <laughs> so I called him at work, and they said, I was really kind of doing it through gritted teeth, because I was like, I want him to say he's sorry. Why do I always have to be the first one? Because you don't want the toxin inside of you, Rhea. That's why. So I called him and I said, you know, baby, I'm sorry. I was wrong. I was wrong. <laughs> and it was the first couple words were hard. And then it was like, I don't want this. There's nothing. There's nothing that anybody can do to me or say or any toes I can get stepped on that's worth missing out on the power of God in my life. Now, God so loves me. I'm still going to heaven. But, man, I want to see power. I want authority. And I wasn't about to compromise that for anything in the world. And so I had to get that thing out of me quick. I, I wanted the catheter to just purge that thing no matter how justified I felt, no matter how right I was to hang on to it. I wanted rid of it. I didn't even care if Dave said he was sorry. All I cared about now was I had to get that thing out of me. I was miserable. But the second he said, Rhea, it's okay. The second I said, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? There's a freedom that came over me. I didn't even need to hear him say he was sorry anymore. All I needed to do was to know that that thing was out of me, that there was poison going through my system. Anybody with me? It's not worth it. It's not worth missing out on the power of God in your life. Now, you won't miss out on God in your life. You miss out on the power of God in your life, the authority that you walk in when you have that stuff purged out of your life. Are you with me? Do you want that? See, there's nothing. I don't care how bad that person was to you. I don't care how painful it was to go through. Nothing's worth that. Let them go. Cut them loose. Don't be tied to them anymore through unforgiveness. Ask them to purge you. Would you stand to your feet now? Father, I pray for my sisters and my brothers. Lord, I thank you that you are the God who sees. It's one of my very favorite names. That you see everything, Lord God, that nothing is hidden from your sight. Lord, darkness even is as light to you that you don't miss anything. And Father, I thank you that you left us with these instructions, Lord, that you know what's best for us. And Lord, I want to pray right now for the people in this room who are holding on to offense. There are people who have been uh, wounded, who have been injured by unkind words, by unkind actions, by, 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 by things that people have been done to be mean, Lord, to be hateful. Intentional things, Lord, unintentional things. Lord, I pray right now that you who know them best, Lord, that you would put your gentle father finger on those areas of their heart that have been wounded, that have been hurt, Lord, that have been done dirty. You'd bring healing, Lord. 
healing into those areas. I pray for a cutting loose tonight, Lord God, for a forgiveness, for, for, for a release of that person. Lord, I pray that you give them the courage, that you give them the want to, Lord, the, the, the want to. That they would want to forgive, Lord. Give them a taste of the life that they can have when they release that person once and for all. Lord, I pray for an uprooting, Lord, that every root of unforgiveness, that every root of hatred, that every root of anger and bitterness, Lord. Would just be uprooted now in the name of Jesus. Things that have been deeply embedded, Lord. Memories, Lord. I pray for healing. A healing, Lord. Father, I pray for the jaws of the trap to come free. There are people here, Lord, who have been trapped in unforgiveness and hatred and anger for, for years and years and years. It's their normal, Lord. I pray that tonight that that gate would be open and that they would go free in the name of Jesus and that they would taste the freedom and the liberty that you have, Lord God. pray, Father, that you would bring things back to memory, things that they're holding on to, Lord, and that they would release them to you right now in the name of Jesus. That even, Lord, as they put their hands in front of them, that they would open up the palms of their hands and release, picture a release of that person to you in the name of Jesus. That they would not hold on to those offenses. I pray that you'd remove even the memory of them from their minds. Lord, I pray for those who have deep-rooted bitterness within them. They've been done dirty and hit over and over and over. Hit with unkind words, hit with unkind actions. Maybe they've been neglected. Maybe they've been abandoned. Maybe they've been rejected, Lord God. And they're a fortified city that's not easily won over. That's walled in, Lord God, and protected. I pray right now for some of those walls to begin to come crashing down in the name of Jesus. That you would show them that you're their protector, that you're their defender, that you're their very present help in times of trouble. That you're their strong tower a place where they can run and be safe. I pray for conversations that need to be had. I pray that you prepare the offending party's heart, Lord God. Prepare their heart for the conversation. Give them a willingness to repent, Lord God, and for restoration to take place in relationships, Lord, that have been long destroyed. I pray for marriages, Lord. Marriages that have walls of offense between them. 
memories of wrongs done, words spoken, careless words, harsh words, unkind words. Oh, Lord God, I pray for a release tonight in the name of Jesus. Hurting people hurt people. Their offender just stepped away from honor for a moment. pray that they'd stop fighting that battle and that they would just turn that person over to you and that they would take heed to themselves and rid themselves of those things tonight that would hinder the life abundant that you so freely want to give. Pray for restoration of marriages, for restoration of intimacy restoration of trust, Lord God. And lastly, Father, I want to pray for those who are maybe working with people or who are surrounded with people who are porcupines, who are hard to deal with, who who just hurt them over and over and over. I thank you. Oh, one of my favorite scriptures is that you are a shield about us. You're a shield about us. Lord, I pray when they go to work tomorrow or they go to their family, wherever the the issue is, I pray that that you would just let them sense that, that shield about them, protecting them. Lord, that they'd be freed up to love and love well because they're not keeping a record of those wrongs and, and that they're just this constant catheter letting that stuff go in one ear and out the other. It's just being purged from their life and they're going to be free to love that person who is really hard to love because they're not going to take the bait of offense. Give them eyes to see that person differently, Lord. And let them taste the resurrection power that you promised, Lord. Father, would you bless? Would you bless each man and woman here? I'm asking, Father, for a transforming message. Lord, no matter how I preach it, I pray that the seed of your word that you promised will never return void would prosper in their hearts and their minds, would produce a harvest, Lord, and that this word would get deep down in them, Father, that they truly would understand it's to their glory to overlook an offense, that they would understand taking offense, being hurt or angry over what somebody's done to them is bait on a trap, they would freely let him go. Trusting you to be that shield about them. Would you bless them now? Lord, empower and equip them, I pray. In Jesus' name.